0: afternoon, everyone. And as always, welcome back to another exciting episode of Red Pill News Live. Hope you guys are having a lovely day. Well, Fanny Willis and Nathan Wade, I, I'm just calling it like I see it. I do not think it looks very good for her. Of course, this hearing is all about whether or not Fanny and Nathan and, frankly, the entire district attorney's office should be pulled off this case because of a case of buttered biscuits, financial remunerations, and profiteering of one form or another. As far as I know, it's still ongoing. I had to jump off. I listened to a lot of it. And, of course, we're going to go through some of the key moments from the questioning. But all I can say is, uh, yeah, they are trashy, Real Red Pill Girlfriend says. So we have a lot to talk about. There was a couple of other hearings that were taking place today. Do me a favor, share the show, hit the like button, sit back, relax, and grab your popcorn, and we'll be right back after this. Well, bad news. It sounds like the Fed has taken the punch bowl away from the party yet again because the stock market has been betting on March rate cuts, but not so fast because all three indexes just got pummeled on the news that rate cuts are off the table. Now, is this why J.P. Morgan and UBS are calling for a 23% drop in the S&P? Let me tell you something. This is the longest time we've ever had in history between recessions. And right now, that recession indicator is ringing off the hook. It's most severe alarm in that 40-year history. So either you think Bidenomics is working or you're buying gold. And since we all know Bidenomics isn't working... Isn't it time you protected your retirement by getting gold? Right now, you can call the proud Americans of the Patriot Gold Group today and do it before it's too late. All you got to do is mention me, Zach Payne, and this show, Red Pill News, on Red Pill 78, and you will always get the best-in-class service from Patriots Protecting Patriots. The Patriot Gold Group has the No Fee for Life IRA, where your IRA or 401k can be in physical gold and silver, and you might be eligible for the No Fee for Life IRA on qualifying rollovers. So give them a call today at 888-888. 857-6092 and request your free investor guide today. Patriot Gold Group is a consumer affairs top-rated gold IRA dealer for 7 years in a row. Call them today at 888-857-6092. And when you support my sponsors, you support this channel. All right, gang, welcome back. Thank you so much for joining us. I hope everyone out there is having a lovely day. We have so much to discuss. Uh, Lisa has not been here, and this is my first coffee in several hours. So hopefully over the course of the first portion of this program, it'll help to wake me up just a little bit. I want to begin today, guys, with a personal account and an update from the shooting that took place in Kansas City yesterday. So let me get that pulled up on screen. And, uh, which gosh, which one is it? I think it's that one. Yes. Okay, good. And let me also, uh, make sure that the proper chats are showing up on screen. My computer shut off on me earlier today when I was getting everything ready. And so I had to reboot it and then I plugged it in again to my battery bank, which was uh, a gift, very generous gift from our friend Kay Nakaz over there on Pilled.net. Thank you so much again, sir. So if we have any continued problems with the power, everything else will stop working but the stream and, of course, the computer will continue to work. So first, uh, let me pull up the letter that I received from one of our – Well, one of our viewers, uh, their sibling, sent me this personal account uh, because there was a lot of confusion about what happened yesterday. So uh, his name is – well, I I don't know. I guess he didn't say whether or not I could use his name. So we'll just call him uh, James. We'll call him James. James writes in and he says, my friend Manuel, his three-year-old daughter, and I went to KC to experience the Super Bowl rally for the Chiefs. I'm a 49ers fan. How many times in your life, though, are you going to have the opportunity to go to a Super Bowl rally? We get there about 30 minutes before the rally was supposed to start. We made our way to Union Station. While there, we stopped at a vendor to buy T-shirts for souvenirs. Manuel was by the cement wall overlooking the post office parking lot. A man in a red jumpsuit said hi and waved to Manuel's daughter, as did other people. Nothing to think about when it happened. But we get to the crowd, and to my surprise, there are no security checkpoints. That's kind of weird for a gathering of that size and obviously that intensity. We didn't have to have our bags searched or go through a metal detector. There were police around, and we noticed snipers on the roof, yet there were no actual checkpoints to make sure nobody was bringing in stuff that they weren't meant to. Being a prior first responder, I remember later, after we got into the crowd and towards the stage, I was thinking to myself, wow, this is a soft target. With people bringing in liquor, beer, and marijuana, I hope something doesn't pop off. How... Prescient, that thought was. It's almost as if they were hoping or they knew that something was going to pop off. That's my words, not James. He continues, we made our way towards the stage. We were probably 150 feet or so from the stage where we were enjoying the music performances. If you watch some of the news videos from the locals as they panned over the crowds, you can see a guy holding up a Jesus is King flag. We were very close to him. You can find me in the crowd and I won't uh, uh, describe him because I don't know that he wants to be pointed out. Uh, After being there for approximately 45 minutes, Manuel started to feel sick. We were so packed in there it was hot enough that I was sweating and Manuel asked to leave out of the crowd. Now, I'm normally a person who hates having to leave a special event, especially when you drive three hours to get there. But for some reason, I said, yeah, okay, let's go. So we made our way to the back of the crowd, to a more open area just south of where we were, maybe about 50 feet away. This gave Manuel a chance to catch his breath. And we talked to see if we should stay there or to go get something to eat and to see if that helps him. Well, we decided to go. Uh, To go get something to eat. We made our way to the perimeter where the police were staged and they started and they and we started walking to the car. Then all of a sudden there were sirens coming from everywhere. People were running and the streets got crowded fast. And that's when we learned that there was an active shooter situation. Luckily, we were just far enough away. We didn't have to run. We made it to our car safely and then we tried to make our way downtown. It took us about an hour and 10 minutes to get two miles away because of all the law enforcement. EMS and fire were saturating that area. Now, we finally made it to a Whataburger, uh, got something to eat, and started texting family and friends to let them know we were okay. The news started to show that where the shooting took place – It was just a few feet to the north of where we stopped to make our final decision about whether or not to stay or leave. If we would have stick around, then we would have stayed right there and we would have been and so we would have had more air, but we would have been right in the middle of it. My friend Manuel started pulling up a Hispanic news station and they showed a man being arrested in a red jumpsuit. Manuel showed me the picture and he goes, this is the man who waved and said hello to my daughter. I looked at the photo and said, oh, yeah, I remember him passing by. How crazy is that that we had somebody who was at this event, and I'm seeing if they had uh, the actual tweet in here. They do not. So let me pull this up, and we'll go to Jordan's profile. And I'm going to show you guys again because the guy that we saw in the the video yesterday was the guy that Manuel – he saw there, and, and this guy waved at his daughter. Okay, so let's go ahead and see this. Uh, Jordan Sather, right there. Okay. So scroll down to his tweet about the shooting that took place yesterday, and you can see right here. No way, bro. Okay. Bro, that's him right there. That guy right there on the left in the red is the man who waved and said hello to uh James's friend's daughter. Uh Manuel's daughter. Uh you know, just uh, pretty incredible to think that they were very, very close to being directly in the middle of this horrific event, where as far as I know, one person lost their life. Ten people were injured. But this does appear to be some sort of gangland stuff, uh, maybe just, you know, kids being hoodlums. And uh, I, I I haven't heard anything additional about it. But I just wanted to say, you know, I, I'm so glad that he and his friend and their daughter or his daughter was all safe and that everybody got away from there. Uh, and for the one person who did lose their life and for the ten people who were injured, uh, keep them in your prayers so Kansas city police po- Kansas City police have revealed uh, a few updates on this shooting that left one dead and several injured. So those three suspects that I just showed you, including two juveniles, have been taken into custody uh, twenty two people have been injured uh, A mother of four children forty four year old Lisa Lopez Galvin is the one who was killed. In the shooting. So the victims in this attack range from eight years of age and 47 years of age uh, and are half, uh, I'm sorry, half of them are younger than 16. So the youngest is 8, the oldest is 47, but more than half of them are under the age of 16. That is so horrible to think it was all kids that got shot. So it began as a dispute between these people that ended in gunfire. Now they, uh, as I had stated, initially reported 10 to 15 victims, uh, and they initially also reported two suspects in custody, but then they got the third one. Uh, And here is video of that one person being taken out of Union Station on a stretcher. unless Twitter doesn't want this to play embedded. I think that's what's happening. Now I know undoubtedly, I know undoubtedly that, you know, anytime there's a a mass casualty event like this, people are always going to say, oh, you know, it's fake or, you know, um, I just want to remind everybody that they don't need to fake everything. They can have a scripted scenario and still kill good people, still kill real people because they don't care. They don't care about how many of us die. I mean, they look at us with contempt. We are essentially useless feeders. We're taking up space on planet Earth. Uh, They hope that we die. I think that the the rollout of the, um, the clot shot was an excellent example of that. I mean, they knew how deadly those mRNA clot shots were, and yet they lied to the American people and the rest of the world. They told us that it was safe and effective, that you were going to survive if you took that shot. Luckily, I didn't believe them. And instead, what happened is you now have a an epidemic uh, of sorts when it comes to heart attacks in people under the age of 20. Uh, Also, many different people of all types, nationalities, races, uh, genders, uh, coming down with mysterious white blood clots. Uh, So uh, just to remind you that they don't care if we die. All right. I wanted to ask your opinion on this story, guys, because I don't quite know what to think. It's a little perplexing. Um, You know, I think that a lot of people... Myself included, were waiting for the opportunity for True the Vote to be able to present the evidence they had of ballot trafficking in Georgia in a court of law. I mean, we all saw two thousand mules. I, I covered it here on the channel. I went to that pit event, and this was the like the piece de resistance, right? The 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 possibility of being able to present. Vast evidence of election fraud in a court of law so a judge could hear it, a jury could consider it, and perhaps we could reverse the trend that we were on. And True the Vote has been in court. I believe that this is in regards to the Connick lawsuit. So Eugene Yu had sued Catherine and Greg, and I guess Greg is not affiliated with True the Vote any longer, but of course they're still friends. And they the judge had asked them to come in or ask their lawyers rather to come in and present what evidence they had to support the claims made in the film of illegal ballot stuffing during the 2020 general election. And then, of course, for the next two months thereafter. So I'm sorry. This was a, a complaint that was filed uh, against Brad Raffensperger back in 2021 by True the Vote. Um, and in that complaint, they stated conclusively, we have a detailed account of coordinated efforts to collect and deposit ballots in drop boxes across metro Atlanta. So the Fulton County judge that was overseeing this uh, in Atlanta, he signed an order last year requiring true the vote to provide the evidence that they had collected uh, and then included the names of people who were sources of information uh, and they were meant to to present it to state election officials uh, Because I guess the state election officials were saying that they had refused to share the evidence initially. So, I mean, take it, keep in mind, this is being reported by the AP, but it's a report of what their lawyer said in court. So the lawyer for true, the vote, uh, well, lawyers rather uh, submitted a written response and they said that they have no names or documentary
1: evidence to share.
0: they they say that there's no evidence of ballot stuffing which we saw in in 2000 meals um i guess that's a a little well i mean it's dismaying sure but i'm shocked i have to be honest i am shocked by the fact that they've said that they have no evidence and I just want to be very clear here. I'm not making a value judgment about anyone involved in, you know, the investigation. I'm certainly not uh, making any claims about anybody. And I've got requests for comments out to a number of different people. I would I would like to know what the answer is here. Like, how could that be? How is it possible that they were able to make the film 2000 Mules? I mean, they purchased all of that data. There was GPS data. There was the direct telephone data. There were specific mules that I believe they had identified. But now when they have the opportunity to present it, they say that they don't have the evidence, that there is no evidence. So, you know, of course, Brad Raffensberger, you know, his spokespeople are jumping all over this. I mean, he's basically saying that true, the vote is untrustworthy. That they've been unwilling to share any evidence and that as far as he's concerned, that reinforces the idea uh, that Georgia's election in 2020 was 100 percent legit. Now, I don't believe that for one second. And I also think that there's got to be something else going on here. There must be something else going on here. I, I would love to speak to Dinesh D'Souza about this, too, and see you know, what the deal is now. I haven't seen the actual initial demand from the judge. So I don't know that there isn't like stipulations to the data they're seeking or if it was just a blanket request to hand over everything you've got. Um, But, you know, as far as I knew, they had spoken to people and had personal knowledge of the the the, the actual individuals involved, the methodologies that were used, the organizations like Uh, Stacey Abrams organization, uh, and they basically had the goods on the ballot trafficking. So uh, I, I don't know. I don't know what to say. I'm hoping that something else happens. But if it doesn't, I don't know where we go from here. So I suppose that I don't even know what to say. I'll be really honest with you. I don't know what to say. Uh, I can't think of a good reason why they wouldn't present the evidence because as far as I knew, they had it. OK, so Shan Tuan, OK, says that's not true. Go watch Greg's show on Rumble today. He had a live discussing this very thing. He said all they wanted was a name. OK, no, 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 Shan Tuan, And I just said I just said I didn't see the initial order from the judge. And this is what I'm looking for. Because I had heard that Greg was going live. I put out messages to everybody asking for clarification on this. This is the only reporting that I've seen on it. So I want to be so clear, and I say it again. I'm not making any claims about Greg or Catherine or True the Vote or anything because as far as I knew, they had the evidence. So this is a very different thing. To say that they were looking for the names of people when in this article they're presenting it as if – They were supposed to hand over the actual evidence to Georgia Secretary of State and the court. Those are two totally different things. Okay, so I really appreciate you saying that because, again, I haven't seen any other reporting and I'm still waiting for comments from people who are out there. Uh okay well thank you very much uh, I'm I'm hopefully I will get comment from True the Vote and also Dinesh D'Souza and then tomorrow I'll have more information about this and that's why I opened by saying this reporting is coming from AP which means that likely there could be more to the story okay okay so Catherine uh, Night Wars writes says Catherine Engelbrecht was on War Room earlier talking about it she's been getting death threats oh that's not cool. The evidence was there. They just want them to give up the names of their informant. Okay, and that's a totally different thing. So the article then I know now is completely disingenuous. Okay, so uh, tomorrow I will have an update and uh, and I'll have the full story. So that's great. That's good to know. And the reason I was even talking about it is because it doesn't make any sense to me that there wouldn't be any evidence. I mean, they showed a ton of stuff in 2000 mules. I found that to be. Uh, highly credible, you know, knowing and having reported on all of the various pieces of evidence that came before this and, and what they put forward. I knew that that's just not possible. How is it possible? So anyways, uh, thank you very much. I really appreciate you guys letting me know that information. And like I said, I have questions uh, or I have a request for comment out to true the vote. And so I will specifically uh, be bringing you more information as I get it. Uh, But, okay, that's actually makes me feel a lot better about it. I don't trust Raffensperger. You ought to know. Uh, I don't trust the AP. I certainly don't trust Stacey Abrams organization. Uh, But that's that's totally messed up. If people are sending death threats to Catherine and Greg, uh, that's absolutely unacceptable. And uh, yeah, and I wish that I could have seen their live stream earlier or War Room. But I've been watching the Fannie Willis hearings all day. All right. So uh, I also wanted to discuss this case that I saw coming out of Michigan. This has to do with the alternate electors uh, debacle. Uh, The secretary of state of Michigan seeking to essentially imprison elderly electors who had attempted to deliver their votes to the Michigan state capitol after the 2020 election. Uh, we're, We're looking at death sentences here, essentially. Uh, up to 14 years in jail. So this hearing was for uh, a number of alternate electors, and it's been ongoing for a couple of days, and it's taking place in Lansing. That's where the Capitol is. Um, So Secretary of State, uh, excuse me, Democrat AG, Dana Nessel, uh, apparently is uh, is not thinking that this is going to go favorably for the electors um, because – Ingham County, where this hearing is being held, is rather liberal, very, very liberal. So if we go back uh, to an event where A.G. Nessel had spoken about this, um, she at that time essentially debunked her own charges against those electors. Um, She was asked by the Michigan GOP electors that she's charged with eight felonies. She foolishly replied that the electors were convinced that President Trump won the 2020 election. And that's the truth. I think all of us believe that President Trump won the 2020 election at the time. She said they legit believe that and that Ingham County, where Lansing is located, is a very liberal county. She knows that by trying these people in Ingham County, it's going to be less likely that they're given a fair trial. So. The fact that they're being tried in Ingham County essentially negates any possibility that they're going to receive a free and fair trial, much in the same way that the election was not free or fair. But during this hearing, which was held yesterday, uh, there was a court-appointed lawyer for 73-year-old Michelle Lundgren. He obviously had to tell the court that his client gave him an affidavit on her behalf while she appeared remotely on Zoom because she had an injury – That prohibited her from appearing in person. So the judge announced that there would be a five minute recess from the court. And with the microphone still active on her computer, she appeared on camera to be very thin, very fragile. And she asked her husband if she could go to the bathroom. Uh, He responded, you better. To which she replied, hurry. Miss Lundgren then appeared to be nervous about making it back to the bathroom within five minutes. And she told her husband, just let me pee in a jar. This is how serious she's taking this, and this is how diabolical the court is, not wanting her to take the time to go to the bathroom even though she's injured, even though she's elderly, even though she's infirmed. Uh, When she was asked if she could walk, she tells the court that she can only go if she uses her walker, and then she hoists herself up in front of the camera, uh, and she goes and pees in a cup. I mean, as far as I'm concerned, this is elder abuse uh, on top of the malicious prosecution that she and the other electors are facing. Uh, And there were about nine minutes where she is attempting to use the restroom, but the microphone's on. She doesn't realize it's being recorded. She obviously doesn't know how to use Zoom. Uh, and, And it was a humiliating thing. And the entire court was sitting right there, and I'm certain that Michigan Secretary of State... Uh, Michigan AG, Michigan governor, they are all probably absolutely loving uh, what was happening to this woman as she's being humiliated in front of the world. And uh, obviously all of these these electors, they're all uh, rather old. Uh, I don't know that they're all in the same physical condition as uh, as the defendant here. Uh, But the 14 year sentence that they're possibly looking at, that's a reasonable sentence to assume they're going to get because of just how messed up Michigan is. So it is uh, a disgusting, disgusting perversion of justice, what we're seeing there uh, in the state of Michigan. All right, so in a very different way, we have another case of elder abuse in the story of Joe Biden. Uh, Now, Joe Biden is being propped up by the deep state system because they're so far down the path. It's difficult to just turn around. You can't change horses mid-race, right? Uh, And, of course, he's going to try to implement the deep state New World Order agenda as best he can, uh, even if it's difficult for him to keep it together most days. Uh, And you know what they say? Never let a good tragedy go to waste. And the tragedy that took place in Kansas City yesterday – uh, is an excellent example of that. Apparently, uh, Joe Biden is looking to use that tragedy as an opportunity to once again attempt to ban what he and the other libtards describe as assault weapons. Uh, and of course, we're talking about rifles, Armalites, AR-15s. This was from a statement following that shooting that took place at the Super Bowl parade. Uh, and he is now calling on Congress to instrict excuse me, to enact stricter gun control measures. Uh, So even though there were not AR-15s that were involved in this shooting, uh, he issued the statement, he urged Congress to ban assault weapons, to limit high-capacity magazines, to strengthen background checks, and to keep guns out of the hands of those who have no business owning them or handling them. Now, what a fundamental problem that we have with this argument always is that We have to keep guns out of the hands of criminals. Well, let me tell you guys something. I'm sure I don't have to really clue you in on this. Criminals, the people who should not own guns, don't have any business owning guns, don't have a legal right to own guns, are always going to own guns because there are ways to make your own guns. There are ways to get unregistered guns. There are ways to smuggle guns. There are ways to steal guns. If a criminal wants to get their hands on a gun, they're going to get a gun. If a good person who's clearly responsible is unable to get a gun, that means they're unable to protect themselves and to protect their families. And so then they and the rest of society are put at risk by the fact that criminals who should not be owning guns have them still and are willing to use them despite what the law says. So this is the full statement from Joe Biden. He says the Super Bowl is the most unifying event in America. Nothing brings more of us together. And the celebration of a Super Bowl win is a moment that brings a joy that can't be matched to the winning team and their supporters. For this joy to be turned to tragedy today in Kansas City cuts deep in the American soul. Today's events should move us, shock us, shame us into acting. What are we waiting for? What else do we need to see? How many more families need to be torn apart? It's time to act. That's where I stand, and I ask the country to stand with me, to make your voice heard in Congress so we finally act to ban assault weapons, to limit high-capacity magazines, strengthen background checks, keep guns out of the hands of those who have no business owning them or handling them. We know what we need to do. We just need the courage to do it. Today on a day that marks, ah, the six years since the Parkland shooting. (laughs) That makes me think that yesterday was preconceived to an even greater degree. We learned that three police officers were shot in the line of duty in Washington, D.C. Now, let's be honest here. The police officers who were shot in the line of duty were also probably shot by unrepentant criminals. And I wouldn't be surprised if at least one of them also happened to be an undocumented illegal alien. Uh, But I don't have the details on that right now. Uh, Another school shooting took place at Benjamin Mays High School in Atlanta. Well, you know, it's also Atlanta. Let's be honest. Yesterday marked one year since the shooting at Michigan State University. Now, that guy also was... Somebody who was totally insane. He wasn't supposed to have a gun. We've now had more mass shootings in 2024 than there have been days in the year. You know, if you counted every time there was a shooting as a mass shooting, then but but they don't because obviously they don't want to count Chicago because that's a bad optics right there. Uh, then, yeah, you know, there are a lot of mass shootings. Um, but it depends on what the definition of mass shooting is. Uh, if your idea of a mass shooting is just any time gun violence happens, well, then, yeah, we're already there. But it's not the same thing as someone walking into a crowded movie theater and mowing down a, a, a series of innocent people. You want to know what he didn't mention? He didn't mention the shooting at Joel Osteen's church. Now, I'm not a fan of Joel Osteen. I don't care for mega churches. But I am also not a fan of uh, of 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 insane people uh, mixed up in the head, walking into a church, using a child as a human shield and then shooting as many people as they possibly can. What do you want to bet that individual, Jeffrey, uh, probably shouldn't have been able to get their hands on a gun either? I mean, I'll tell you what, what we've had more of anything in recent years have been attacks from left-wing radicals who want to force the hand of the government on gun control uh, to take away everyone's right to own a gun. But again, criminals are still going to have guns. Uh, now, uh, I don't know that this is going to work because he is asking America to stand with him. America does not stand with Joe Biden. America stands with liberty. And freedom is scary. That's why we need guns to protect ourselves. If you take away guns, crazy people are still going to find ways to kill a lot of people all at once. You can still buy raw materials to make a bomb. I mean, they would be able to do that. A bomb would be far more devastating than a couple of people getting shot. You don't want anybody dying, but you definitely want guns in the hands of heroes, good people, so that they can use them to take out the people who would do harm to a mass number of people. The epidemic, he says, of gun violence is ripping apart families and communities every day. What about the epidemic of gun violence that's been ongoing for decades in inner cities that have been run by Democrats, mismanaged by radical left-wing libtards? Brandon Johnson doesn't seem to be doing such a great job there in Chirac. He says we have to decide who we are as a country. For me, we're a country where people should have the right to go to school, to go to church, to walk the street and to attend a Super Bowl celebration without fear of losing your life to gun violence. I, for one, am not worried about it at all. I'm not concerned about it. I'm more worried about Joe Biden's fascist regime coming and stealing the guns from our homes and our personal residences. He misses the point. The problem, truly, it's not guns, it's criminals. It's people who should not be here in our country, increasing the number of radical incidents that are taking place. And again, as I said yesterday, this leads back to the porous southern border. And now it's obviously leading back to the White House. We can go full circle here. Joe Biden creates a scenario where the country is less safe. People use guns to commit acts of violence. So Joe Biden calls for an end to the scourge of public safety, uh, which he created. It's uh, it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. It's like I'm my own grandpa. The the time travel loop uh, where you are born in the future. You create time travel. You go back in time. You meet a woman. You have uh, relations with her. Turns out it's your great great grandmother. And then you are the product of that relationship. Uh, I actually saw a, a show about that recently. Totally a uh, big mind blower. All right. So this is something I thought was pretty interesting. Um, remember in the uh, press conference the other day, Joe Biden was extremely angry about uh, the special counsel's report. And he was especially angry about special counsel, her asking him about the death of his son. Uh, and, you know, he brought this up. It was a, a, a major part, major plot twist in the uh, not only in the report, but also in the event that Joe Biden held uh, in the White House. He, he he had a problem with her asking about the death of Beau Biden. But here's the thing. It turns out that Robert Hur never asked about the death of Beau Biden in the same way that Joe Biden will bring up Beau when he talks about what kind of ice cream he likes. He also brought up the death of Beau uh, to essentially illuminate why he would be so distracted uh, enough to take these classified documents and, uh, and, and do that illegally. Um, now, remember, uh, the Justice Department felt that he was a sympathetic, well-meaning, elderly man with a poor memory. Uh, and uh, it turns out that it was Joe Biden who came up with the plot about Beau Biden. Joe Biden raised the issue about his dead son, Beau. Uh, Because he could not correctly recall what year he passed. Uh, This is exactly what happened. Uh, First of all, Joe said, how in the hell dare he raise that? Frankly, when I was asked that question, I thought to myself, it wasn't any of their damn business. But there are two people who maybe were part of the special counsel's investigation or perhaps friendly with her. uh, And they were actually present for this five hour interview, the the two day interview. Uh, And Biden brought up Bo. After he was asked about his workflow at a Virginia rental home, this is a different place where it wasn't even publicized that there were documents. But uh, I guess at one point between 2016 to 2018, this is when he was uh, meeting with the ghostwriter to help him write that memoir. Uh, It was a memoir specifically about losing Bo to brain cancer. So that's why Bo got brought up, because the investigators had a a recording from 2017, and that was the recording that showed that Joe Biden had called his ghostwriter, said he had found classified stuff in his home and then was reading it to him. So Biden was actually trying to recall that period by discussing what else was happening in his life. And it was at that point in the interview that he appeared to get confused about when it was that Bo died. He got the date. May 30th, but he could not remember the year. So the attack on Robert Hur was a psychological operation as far as I'm concerned. And I just wonder if any of the mainstream media are going to revisit that little tidbit uh, and admit the truth. Probably not. I'm not going to hold my breath. OK, uh, so Tony Bobulinski's lawyers. Uh, have been going after Jamie Raskin because apparently Jamie Raskin in his uh, typical fashion has used his position uh, at, in that closed door hearing uh, to kind of obfuscate, misrepresent Joe Biden's specific role in the Biden family business. Obviously, we went over Tony Bobulinski's statements the other day. We have been talking about it for several years. But um, his attorney, I guess, is named Stefan Passantino. And uh, Jamie Raskin is the ranking member for the Democrats on the House Oversight Committee. Um, So in the testimony that Bobulinski gave, it it was pretty significant because obviously he was present for a lot of these business deals and uh, specifically involved when it came to the Chinese Communist Party. So he gave these four allegations about Joe Biden's role. In the Biden family crime business, first of all, Joe maintained plausible deniability uh, at the time that his family was raking in millions from a number of different uh, foreign entities, which include uh, the CCP's CEFC China Energy Company. And of course, because CEFC is a Chinese Communist Party linked entity, it was revealed by Tony that they tried to infiltrate the Obama administration in a uh, in a way to successfully compromise Joe Biden, get some dirt on him, perhaps be able to blackmail him, and then through that be able to influence U.S. foreign policy as a result. Uh, he also, of course, recognized and uh, specifically testified to the fact that Joe Biden was the brand. We've heard that on a number of occasions and from a number of different Biden business associates. The brand itself was used to enrich the Biden crime family. It's the only reason it exists. Now, Joe Biden also enabled Hunter to be able to sell access to him in some of the U.S.'s most dangerous country adversaries. So he this is why Hunter was taking those trips all around the world, why Hunter was the face of. Uh, instead of it being Joe, because obviously Joe had to, number one, maintain plausible deniability. So that's why Joe was allowing Hunter to use the vice presidential plane, Air Force Two. And of course, Jamie Raskin has to minimize the actions that Joe Biden took to in, to be involved with and more importantly, to profit from the business dealings that Hunter Biden was actually doing while Joe was uh, allegedly running the country as the vice president. So uh, in a press release that Raskin put out after Bobulinski's testimony, by the way, it was over eight hours. He said that Bobolinsky did not provide any evidence of wrongdoing by President Biden, nor did he provide any evidence at all that Biden was involved in his family's business dealings. I mean, what are you looking for? Uh, A Polaroid of Joe Biden, excuse me, a Polaroid of Joe Biden signing a contract with Chairman Yi Ming standing right behind him, patting him on the back. I mean, obviously that doesn't exist. But uh, of course, this is a grotesque mischaracterization. Uh, the lawyer for Tony Bobulinski said minority assassination of Mr. Bobulinski's character and grotesque mischaracterizations of his words will only serve to highlight the gaslighting and vilification Mr. Bobulinski has endured since he reluctantly came forward almost four years ago to share with the public the facts of his business experience with the Biden family. Uh, Mr. Bobolinsky will vigorously defend his honor, reputation and patriotism against all who choose to ignore the facts and deflect from the truth by issuing falsehoods and engaging in rank character assassination. The truth is coming out. And those who choose to knowingly perpetuate false narratives by dishonestly attacking Mr. Bobolinsky will find themselves on the wrong side of history. Now, we know all about the dealings that Joe and Tony had together They met at the Beverly Hilton in 2017. They specifically met to discuss the business with the Chinese energy company, CEFC. And we also know that CEFC was deeply connected to the Chinese Communist Party, as all large Chinese corporations are. We also know that in 2020, Bobolinsky confirmed that one ominous message, 10 held for H by the big guy, is unequivocally about Joe Biden. Joe Biden is the big guy. H is Hunter. 10 is $10 million. So this interview has been a long time coming. And of course, Jamie Raskin, knowing that the most that most Americans are not going to be able to uh, actually read the transcript or they're not even going to hear anything but sound bites, which are coming from different sources. He knows that if he puts out a statement mischaracterizing the actual testimony of Tony Bobolinsky, a certain percentage of the American public are going to hear that. And that's all they're going to hear. But, of course, we are not going to allow Jamie Raskin uh, to uh, unsuccessfully uh, psyop the American public. All right. Uh, All right, you guys. Uh, If you wouldn't mind, please, I would sincerely appreciate it. Hit the like button or share the show, one of the two. Uh, I would really, really appreciate it. Um, And like I said, I believe that the uh, testimony for Fannie Willis is still ongoing. All right, so uh, we have new movement on the situation surrounding Jeffrey Epstein, and this one, my friends, is rather spicy. We've talked a lot about the co-conspirators of Jeffrey Ghislaine, maybe Prince Andrew, a whole bunch of people from the Biden—excuse me, from the Bidens, <laughs> from the Bidens to the Clintons—people who were co-conspirators of uh, Jeffrey Epstein. We've been waiting for. I don't know, the uh, the blackmail material we've been waiting for, uh, not the little black book, but the uh, the full flight logs. We've been waiting for something to come out of this. Uh, and it's been pretty clear that the federal government has uh, been rather reluctant to allow the the true complement of information to get out there to the public. And perhaps as a result of that, also perhaps as a result of Alexander Acosta saying that Epstein belonged to intelligence, The victims of Jeffrey Epstein have now filed suit against the United States government. They claim that the FBI enabled Jeffrey Epstein's sex trafficking. I think that is arguably 100 percent accurate. So these victims, who, of course, all of them who have not been made public yet, are alleging that the FBI had received a number of tips over the years about Jeffrey Epstein's behavior, going back as far as 1996. But as we all know, for some reason, they chose to do nothing with that information. So we had that probe begin in 2006, but it ended because Jeffrey Epstein, Uh, was able to cut a sweetheart deal with prosecutors that only sentenced him to 18 months in prison, not 24 hours a day, but actually uh, out on work release. He just had to sleep in the county jail. He didn't even go to prison. And we also know, again, that Alexander Acosta, the U.S. attorney that oversaw this case, he came in and said, hey, guys, sorry, Jeffrey belongs to intelligence. We can't take this any farther. We're going to charge him with something minor. And he's going to get off scot-free, and of course, all of his co-conspirators are going to get 100% immunity now and forever, into the future. And from the information surrounding this lawsuit, as a direct and proximate cause of the FBI's negligence, plaintiffs would not have been continued to be sex trafficked, abused, raped, tortured, and threatened. Jane Doe's 1 through 12 bring this lawsuit to get to the bottom once and for all of the FBI's role in Epstein's criminal sex trafficking ring. Uh, The lawsuit also additionally claims that the FBI had evidence of his continued crimes, but they refused to investigate. We all know this to be true. This, however, is a major revelation. It's a major point of movement in this case. And uh, obviously, it's all about the victims. The victims deserve to get what's coming to them because Jeffrey Epstein did not get what was coming to him. And now the only thing that we can do is hold his co-conspirators accountable. Uh, I can't even tell you which other agencies might also be co-conspirators of Jeffrey Epstein. The only one that we know with a name that was brought up was the Federal Bureau of Investigation. I could guess I could say the Central Intelligence Agency. We could say Mossad, but that's out of this jurisdiction. But the FBI ran point on all things Epstein, and during their investigation, they were complicit in allowing Epstein and those co-conspirators to victimize these 12 women who have brought this case, as well as other young women. It's likely that now that they're suing the federal government. These other women may come forward, but the FBI had photographs, they had videos, they had interviews, they had hard evidence of child prostitution and child sexual abuse material in film and video format. And they failed to make a timely investigation. They failed to arrest Jeffrey Epstein. This is a full deviation from FBI protocols. I'd like to remind everyone that nothing happened to Jeffrey Epstein until Donald Trump got into power. Donald Trump got into office and even then it took some time. But eventually Jeffrey Epstein was arrested and then at some point in 2019, he was Arkansided. Perhaps it was the Clintons. Perhaps it was one of Epstein's co-conspirators that paid for another inmate there at the uh, MDC, I think it was called. Uh, Or perhaps it was... Agents of the Federal Bureau of Investigation who ensured that Jeffrey never spoke to anyone. The FBI has a non-discretionary obligation governed by established policies, procedures, rules and protocols. What is that? To handle and investigate tips concerning potential and ongoing underage child erotica, rape, sex with minors, sex trafficking all in a reasonable manner, and to act against Epstein to prevent him from committing repeated crimes. Clearly, they did not do this. Contrary to its own established rules, the FBI failed to take appropriate action and botched and covered up investigations for years. Now, I think, you know, there is the slim possibility. The slim, slim, slim possibility that the FBI is just that inept. They're that bad at their jobs going back to 2006. And perhaps they screwed something up and they just thought at that time it would be better to cover it up and to just keep covering it up. But you see, the more lies you tell, the more lies you have to tell. Uh, And I think it uh, is a lot more likely that the FBI were part of this abuse and money making situation that Jeffrey Epstein had built. His entire empire was built upon the rape and, and, and molestation of little girls. So the damages they're seeking, I'm not quite sure what those are. Uh, but uh, obviously, as soon as we get any more information, we will bring this to you. Oh, is that Rook Castle out there? My God, Rook. I haven't seen that name in a very long time. Oh, and the dear ninja. Good to see you too, dear ninja. Mm. All right. But yeah, Rook, I haven't seen you in forever, hon. Uh, Thanks for hanging out. Glad you're here. All right. So uh, following up on our coverage of uh, CISA this week, we've been talking about CISA for uh, a little bit. Um, Chris Krebs, much like a lot of people in his position, uh, seemed to have lied under oath when testifying about the 2020 election. What was it that CISA and Chris Krebs said? It was the most secure election ever. Hold on. Uh, Ivan just called me. I got to text him. Um, Okay. Hold on. Uh,
1: Sig, I'm
0: live. Call you ASAP. Okay. So, um, Why is this important now? We all knew this, right? Well, it's all about evidence. It's all about sauce. So we've now got the proof, and we're going to talk about this today.
1: Oh, okay. It's all good. I was going to call you anyways.
0: Okay. Send. There we go. Okay. All right. So let's see. What is this proof? Recently, Yehuda Miller, who has been bringing incredible receipts when it comes to these FOIA requests, uh, has been able to completely redefine the conversation surrounding the 2020 U.S. presidential election. Uh, This election, of course, billed by the mainstream media, by the DNC, uh, by Joe Biden himself and pretty much any government agency that had uh, incidents to get involved They said it was the most secure election in history. Well, we learned yesterday that John Poulos from Dominion Voting Systems, he lied under oath. So is it too much to uh, assume that Chris Krebs, the former director of CISA, the same man who was fired by Donald Trump, uh, the one who testified before Congress on December 16th, uh, 2022, after he was fired, excuse me, 2020, after he was fired? Is it too much to think that This testimony that Chris Krebs gave before the U.S. Senate was uh, potentially a lie. Chris Krebs announced on that day in his testimony, the 2020 election was the most secure in U.S. history. So what they're doing, Yehuda Miller and his partners, is they're releasing a series of FOIA documents uh, that will be coming out over the coming days. And it illustrates uh, pretty succinctly that Chris Krebs was not honest. Chris Krebs lied to the American public. He lied during his testimony. Uh, And as far as I know, uh, perjuring yourself under oath is still a criminal act. So yesterday, uh, the information about that uh, 2020 Election Day phone call that was organized by CISA, we talked about that yesterday. Um, But uh, what is the new details that have come out now? Uh, Okay. Here is the new information. This is from Yehuda Miller on X. Let's just actually go to his X profile. Dear America, you have been told by CISA the 2020 election was safe and secure. Yet CISA made a report on the security and vulnerabilities of many election infrastructure offices throughout the country for the 2020 election year. That report was hidden from the public. Well, guess what? That report now has been legally obtained via Freedom of Information Act, and you don't need to be a computer guy to understand that it from our election offices are about as porous as Swiss cheese. It seems to be the greatest 14th Amendment violation by treating voters differently. All voters have to be able to vote in the same secure fashion. So you can read this report with your own eyes and ask yourself, why was this hidden from the public? As so often is the case, I like to ask that question too. Why did they do it this way? Well, obviously, it's usually something nefarious. There is something going on. So why was this hidden from the public? If you want to read that report and digest the information in it, you'll also have to ask yourself, do you still trust any official who knew about what CISA wrote about in this report and why they failed to notify the public about it? So here's the executive summary. CISA's analysis of the available data is pointed out as follows. Uh, Election infrastructure is EI, EI entities. This is their analysis of data for assessed EI entities. After their analysis, 76% of EI entities for which CISA performed a risk and vulnerability assessment had spear phishing weaknesses, which provided an entry point for adversaries to launch attacks. Forty-eight percent of entities had a critical or high-severity vulnerability on at least one Internet-accessible host, providing potential attack vectors to adversaries. Thirty-nine percent of entities ran at least one risky service on an Internet-accessible host, providing the opportunity for threat actors to attack otherwise legitimate services. And 34 percent of entities ran unsupported operating systems on at least one Internet accessible host, which exposes entities to compromise. It is a 27 page report, and you don't even need to read the entire thing to understand that this percentage of election infrastructure in instability taking place in across America. It presents a unique opportunity for bad actors to enter into that election infrastructure equipment and to manipulate our votes across the board. For them to say that this was the most secure election in the history of America, there's absolutely no ground to stand on when you look at this and you can understand clearly that they could not have believed it. There is no possible way that they could have believed the words that were coming out of their mouth. And for them to continue to repeat that lie over and over and over again and withhold this information from the American public, it denotes the presence of nefarious activity in such a horrific manner. So uh, I have the entire report right here, and I will go ahead and drop it into the chat for you guys to see. Uh, and there you go. And we can go ahead and, uh, well, yeah, what's secure? Yeah, there is no security. We'll come back, uh, swing around to this tomorrow because we've still got to get to Fanny Willis and we are a couple of stories out. Uh, there we go. Yes. Oh, that's right. Rook Castle. It was fortified, but fortified for whom? That's the thing. It was secure If their desire, if their definition of security was to ensure the loss of Donald Trump in that respect, the election was 100 percent secure, the most fortified election in the history of our nation. Okay, and we're going to skip this one because I see the time and I want to make sure that we get to it. Ty Clevenger also speaking out about the FBI's continued failure to deliver the documents the judge in this case has demanded they give to the team that has been trying to get the laptops from Seth Rich for years at this point. It's hard to believe it's been so long since Seth Rich was gunned down unceremoniously in the middle of the night in Washington, D.C., this anonymous DNC staffer. Who, of course, as they say, had nothing to do with the WikiLeaks revelations coming out of the DNC. Not saying anything. Well, uh, Ty Clevenger is, of course, the attorney who's been pursuing the DOJ and the FBI ever since Seth Rich was murdered in Washington, D.C. He has also investigated the unknown person who turned over the DNC and Podesta emails to WikiLeaks during the 2016 election cycle. The insinuation, the suspicion has always been that Seth Rich and the person who handed over these DNC emails – could potentially be the same person. It has not been proven yet, which is why it's so vitally important we get our hands on the communications on Seth Rich's laptop, both work and personal. So no proof was ever offered by the fake legacy media, the Democrats or the intelligence community uh, in regards to The Russia collusion scandal, the idea that Russia is the one who actually perpetrated the WikiLeaks document drop. And if Russia did not supply the DNC emails to WikiLeaks, that actually lends more credence to the idea that likely it was an inside job. It was somebody inside the DNC. And so the Russia collusion story was then obviously a psychological operation used to fool the American public and make them think that Russia, Russia, Russia is our enemy. Now, after years of denying that they had anything related to Seth Rich, both the FBI and the DOJ have been caught lying about this very subject on a number of occasions. It turns out that they actually were holding quite a bit of information about Seth Rich, personal, pr- personal possessions of Seth Rich. And the judge that has been overseeing this case demanded that the FBI and DOJ start providing everything relevant that they had regarding Seth Rich to Ty Clevenger. So the FBI requested 66 years in order to release this information. This is like the JFK territory right here. They wanted to essentially use the same model. Never mind that we have a lot more people working in the federal government at this point. Never mind that we have the ability to use, I don't know, sophisticated electronic computer AI systems. Uh, The FBI should be more than capable of putting together the information inside Seth Rich's laptop. And let's also be very clear here. We're talking about, we're talking about the personal emails and the work emails of a DNC staffer. Um, There should be nothing that needs to be redacted in here. Save personal identifying information, you know, Seth Rich's, Social security number maybe or or, or personal information about his family, but why would that be in there? Uh, There's no need to go through here with a fine-tooth comb and ensure that there's no reference um, to classified government work. Seth Seth didn't hold any security classifications. The DNC is not a government organization, uh, so it doesn't make any sense. It does, however, begin to make sense if you consider the fact that quite possibly Seth Rich is the DNC leaker. That Seth Rich very likely could be the person who handed over those emails to Julian Assange and his team. So it's been since November when that judge ruled that the FBI would have to hand over that evidence. He gave them weeks. It's now been quite a bit longer. And the FBI is still trying to bury this information. A E.J.M. Jensen says, uh, thanks for dropping the CISA report, Zach. Excellent. Uh, I'm, I'm, uh, I know you guys would want to see it. And if we had more time, then I would go over it in detail on here. But we simply don't. There's too many more things to talk about. So this, uh, this is now likely going to take a lot longer than that couple of weeks. Uh, so we've been waiting all this time. And Ty has finally given us an update regarding the status of this information. So the FBI is committed, 100% committed, to continuing to cover this up. Christopher Ray and the FBI defy the court. And despite the ruling from the judge, they still refuse to release that laptop computer. Uh, apparently, the FBI is making up a brand new story because the judge told them to kick rocks when it came to that 66-year timeline. And they have a brand new reason as to why they cannot release the information. Uh, now, again, I go back to the idea that perhaps Seth Rich confirms on that laptop that he leaked Hillary Clinton's emails to WikiLeaks. Maybe there is personal communications between Seth Rich and WikiLeaks. Maybe there is talk about an exchange of money as a result of leaking that information to WikiLeaks. So now the FBI is saying that Seth Rich's laptop is relevant to his murder investigation. And now that's the reason why it can't be revealed. I thought that this was a botched robbery and that they had closed the investigation years ago. So Ty says, we've asked the court to order the FBI to, number one, explain why it filed documents secretly, and number two, Disclose those documents. And it looks like the FBI tried to dupe the court because the feds just learned that Seth Rich's murder investigation is still open. He says, we have them in the corner. Hopefully the judge will push for them to turn it over soon. They've thumbed their nose at the judge time and time again. So at this point, it is still an open case and we are still waiting for new details to emerge. Uh, Philosophy Girl says need a department for redaction and release of sensitive info. I'm pretty sure they already have it. I'll be really honest with you. I think that they've already allocated specific money uh, to ensure that they have people to do that. But the thing is, we don't live in a society any longer where information flows flows freely. They've forgotten that the government works for the people. They treat it as if we work for them. And and therefore, we are not privy to the intermachinations of that secret Department of State. Uh, Oh, Trisha says, you missed my first rant about your True the Vote story. Okay, let me see. I hope you dropped a link to um, uh, an interview that I can watch after this or or a statement from from Greg or Catherine. Uh, Where is it? Where is it?
1: Um. Wow. Trisha, this must have been a long, this must have been right at the beginning of the show because I am not coming across it.
0: Okay. Ah, oh my God. It's the very, okay. This is from True the Vote. Oh, sweet. Thank you. Hang on
1: um, here. Let's go and take a look.
0: OK, true. The vote responds to fake news attacks. OK, so yesterday, a series of negative articles were published about true. The vote headlines like true. The vote tells court it has no records. Yeah, that was all I saw. I was hoping that I was going to see something reported in Gateway Pundit or Daily Caller or Breitbart, but nobody picked it up. Uh, The final repudiation of 2000 Mules. Okay, what you are seeing is an organized hit. How do we know? Synchronized publications, a loss of cross legacy media with no outreach to True the Vote for comment with lengthy stories. Okay, so let's. So this story is fake. I get that. But why? Because today's ethics committee hearing in Georgia. Senator Raff — excuse me, Secretary Raffensberger's professional failures and newfound alignment with the left because of our recent victory over fair fight. See, I knew they had won a case. True, the vote is effective. I still believe this. I think that there has to be evidence, and my confusion came in the fact that their lawyer said that there was no evidence. But where is the — okay, the AJC writer, Mr. Neese, did reach out to our attorney for comment. Okay, Mr. Neese. The claim that there is insufficient support. So this is a statement from their lawyer. This is exactly what I was looking for. The truth of votes, allegation of widespread abuse of the nascent ballot drop box. Hold on. I need to go back to the beginning. Okay. Eliza Jane says, I saw the video of Seth getting shot. It didn't happen the way. Where did you see a video of Seth getting shot? I did not know that such video existed. Um, I I feel like maybe there might have been um, some sort of like street cameras or something like that. And I know that there was a shot detector. I remember seeing perhaps video of him walking, but I don't know that I ever saw him getting shot. I mean, I'm asking because I would like to examine it. Okay, so the evidence true the vote made available to the Georgia Bureau of Investigation shortly after the 2020 election cannot be understood to be like records stored elsewhere. It consisted of massive quantities of electronic data that could only be appreciated and understood when you had multiple servers processing it and visually displaying how the information intersected in real time. This is called geospatial analysis. True the vote provided the information to the FBI. See, this is what I thought, which rendered it available to the Georgia Bureau of Investigation at the time. GBI consequently has ready access to the summaries and underlying data and could reconstruct it, but it declined to do that. So essentially they had the evidence, but they neglected or refused to actually review it in a way that would logically make sense. This is kind of like th- this is kind of like looking at a string of DNA and then trying to determine, you know, how does this equal a person? Uh, in addition to what was originally provided to the FBI and GBI in 2021. We provided three written complaints with documentation to the secretary of state and over 6,000 documents to the SEB. I E B. I don't know. Is that the secretary of state's office? Maybe, uh, the state was unwilling to provide whistleblower protection. I remember that unwilling to examine our data while it was set up in active databases and unwilling to act on the summary data, which it could have easily done. Now, three years later, after the statute of limitations has expired on any election crimes, It appears that the SEB's interest is not in investigating. Rather, it is in silencing citizens from speaking out. Lest they get the same treatment, our group is now enduring. It is outrageous. Mind you, at any point on this odyssey, the GBI could have gotten an administrative warrant to have the summarized cell phone data de-anonymized and begin their investigation. There is nothing stopping them from taking that action even now. They have all the information they need. We are not law enforcement. It is up to them to do their jobs. Absolutely. 100% I agree. As civilians, we cannot do more than what we have done. We stand by everything we have ever said about our work product and ballot trafficking in Georgia. We reached out to the Georgia governor, AG, GBI, Secretary of State, and SEB in good faith. And time and time again, they have shirked their responsibilities and broken their promises. This is their failure. And the orchestrated attack against us is just one more effort to cover up the truth of Georgia's failed election process. Okay, this makes sense to me. And I'm again, I'm asking, why is it that nobody else seems to be picking it up? They link to a couple of articles from Undercover D Uncover DC. Um, But uh, God, you know, this is this is this is a. not surprising, I have to be honest with you, but uh, it is uh, all the – it still continues to shock me. Uh Number one, Indiana Dead. It says, this $5 is for the mod who dumped Tiki Tie for you. I left the chat because of him, he, him, she, her, or something else. <clears throat> Happy to see the toilet flushed. The turd was distracting. Flynn wouldn't sign his book. Um, yeah, Tiki Tie has been a viewer of the show for a long time, but he is uh continuously uh obsessed with trying to convince me and everybody else that Flynn is a bad guy. And it's his take that if you don't believe that, then you're just I guess you're stupid. You're not willing to admit the truth. But, I mean, I have looked into General Flynn. Uh, I've looked at his statements. I've looked at Donald Trump's statements about General Flynn. And I just don't believe that General Flynn is a bad guy. If at some point someone convinces me that General Flynn is a bad guy, uh, I'll come forward and say I was wrong. And Tiki Tai was right. And, And but that's just not the case. Now, anybody else who's out there? If you have been banned and you think that your ban uh, was not warranted, it's possible you got banned incorrectly. Like maybe you posted a link. Someone emailed me yesterday uh, and they said that they had posted a link and uh, Lisa had deleted the link, um, but they had also been banned from the chat. Oh, shoot. Okay, sweet. Uh, They had been banned from the chat and uh, and and they and obviously that wasn't supposed to happen. So I unbanned them today. Um, But if that's you, then if you're one of those people, then just send me an email and we'll talk about it. However, if you've been banned from Badlands, it wasn't me who banned you. And I don't know the circumstances under which you were banned. Uh, So you're really not going to get anywhere. You can email Badlands Media at ProtonMail.com. And you can make your case directly to the owners of Badlands. Um, but I also suggest that if you've been spamming the chat, uh, trying to get people to uh, take on your opinion about something or you're telling a person who's talking about something that they're wrong for whatever reason. Uh, you know, Somebody reached out to me asking me to have them unbanned, and I said, well, I don't know why. You were banned. Um, Maybe you can tell me more about it. And they were banned because they had an issue with one of the hosts. And uh, apparently they uh, they, – Badlands thought they were abusive and so they banned them. We've got freedom of speech in America. Um, But freedom of speech also means that you have the freedom not to listen to someone that you disagree with. Uh, Freedom of speech is not walking up to someone in the middle of uh, a crowded square and yelling in their face until they acknowledge your presence. Uh, People don't have to be submitted to that sort of behavior. So uh, I would just suggest that in order to make sure that nobody gets banned anywhere, uh, you keep the conversation civil. Okay, you have a conversation in a civil manner. Uh, you don't accuse people of being, you know, uh, wrong because they don't believe the same things you do. Uh, and, you know, you, you you continue to have a dialogue. It's when you stop having a dialogue that people end up getting banned. And uh, you you got to remember the people who who run these channels, you know, I mean, the last thing you want to see is somebody in the chat saying, you know, you're going to – you're a terrible person because you don't believe the things I do. You know, think about how many people are out there doing that every single day. I re-released that video with uh, the, the the two guys yesterday, and they did, I guess, a, an hour-long special on me today. I haven't seen it. I'm not going to watch because I don't care. It's irrelevant to me. I don't care, um, and I'm not going to talk smack about them because it means absolutely nothing to me. Uh, It's in the interest of education and uh, uh, public enlightenment that I re released that interview. And so, if somebody gives an interview and they expect to get a softball from me and they don't, uh, well, you know, that's not on me. That's on them. All right, you guys. Uh, So, anyways, thank you very much for allowing me that uh, short rant. And if you're being told that I'm attacking anyone, you should know that I'm not attacking anyone. Uh, I am more than happy to allow people to have their own opinions, uh, and I am free to not listen to them if they want to spout them. So uh, I have two stories for you uh, that is specifically about officers and two different scenarios that are very different. First of all, uh, I mentioned this last night with Brad when we were on Altered State. There was a a case down here in Florida – that is, it just it, it boggled the mind. First of all, there was this officer who was arresting this guy right here. It was some sort of, um, some sort of grand theft auto, and there was likely a gun in involved. And the officer had put this gentleman in the back of his cruiser, and as he was walking around the cruiser, he heard an acorn hit the top of his his patrol car, and. He entered into some sort of uh, PTSD-like episode. And now the reason that he handled this badly is because he discharged a full mag into his patrol car. And his partner thought he was being shot at as well. And so she did the same thing. Now, he ended up losing his job. He resigned because the investigation showed that it was unnecessary use of deadly force. Remember, the guy, even though he's a criminal... He didn't deserve to die. He was in handcuffs in the back of the squad car. Luckily, he was not shot. I mean, this guy is either Teflon or protected by Jesus as far as I'm concerned. So let's go ahead and take a look at the video. Um, And if there's any LEOs out there, I mean, you know, I think there's two different ways to think about this. You know, it's not that this guy is necessarily a, a bad cop, but if you're if you're operating handguns, if you're operating guns of any kind, you have to have. Uh, 100% situational awareness and you simply cannot snap into uh, the act of discharging your weapon. He also says that he was shot. He definitely wasn't shot. Here's Um, why the
1: Privacy Committee Oh God!
0: What's going on guys? (laughs) Okay. Okay.
2: I here you know. oh, I'm
1: I'm
0: OK, so he causes a mass panic on the street. He, he just mag dumps right into the back of his squad car. And his partner thinks that, you know, they're being shot at because obviously her partner is just shooting the shit out of the car. And um and so she does the same thing. He the, the reason I think it was some sort of PTSD thing is because I did not hear any noise. OK, I didn't hear an acorn. It didn't sound to me like there was any kind of crack or something like that. Um. Oh look at that! Ainsley says, "Zach, you were the first to bring this story. Crowder did it today. Oh wow, that's pretty cool. Oh yes, yeah, t- and true, <laughs> true he did. He emptied multiple mags, but that first one—this is the thing—he emptied one. He boom, he reloads, he does it again, and he's just shooting, guys. He's just shooting. There's houses there. There's kids. He could have killed so many people." <laughs> <laughs> And he wasn't shot. Through the car. He's not shot. Oh. So now he reloads.
3: <laughs>
0: I, I'm, I'm good. I feel weird, but I'm good. It feels weird because he's having some sort of attack. I'm good, I'm good. And the girl, she thinks her boyfriend's dead. Oh. I don't know. Anyways, obviously, this investigation did not go well for him. Um, But this is an example of what not to do as a law enforcement officer. The next story is a great example of exactly what you should do if you're a law enforcement officer. And it's also an example of F around, find out. Because the driver of this car wanted to F around, and she found out rather quickly. So this happened in Ohio. Uh, This officer... Uh, was forced to shoot the driver because she rammed him with her car and then she drove off. This was in Columbus, Ohio. Uh, It happened yesterday. Uh, Andre says, geez, that cop is MKUltra for sure. (laughs) Just kidding. Uh, Number one, Indiana Dead says, this $5 is for Zach's rant. Thank you very much. Appreciate you, buddy. All right. And uh, here, let let me adjust something on my screen here so that I can get those rants to show up for me. All right, and um, okay, so uh, this happened yesterday. Uh, This girl got pulled over, it looks like. Uh, It was a stolen Camry, uh, and she tries pulling off, and then uh, one of the officers lays a spike strip, uh, and uh, it doesn't work. She continues to drive. So the vehicle is approaching one officer as it's in reverse. But then she slams the accelerator and hits him and it sends him over the top of the vehicle. So let's go ahead and watch what happens when uh, when
1: you're doing good police work. In a perfect world where the video will show up. Let me see if I can get it to work here.
0: Yep. Okay. here we go.
1: Here he comes.
3: Watch out! Take your cars
0: off. Turn around, get the car. And that's it.
3: Watch out! Watch out! Watch out! Get out of the car. Get yeah not Get getting out.
1: out of the not Get getting out. Of the out. Watch out watch oh.
0: oh, I guess she didn't die the first round. Oh no, no, this is this is from another angle. This is the cop who actually was up on the vehicle, I think. Yeah.
2: Stop the car! Stop
3: the car!
2: Turn and get fired car. Ooh. Oh my god. fired. Advise we're gonna. Good
0: police work. Good police work. Uh, that police officer was fine. The woman did not make it. Uh, so clearly she deserved it. The, the the guy in the back of the squad car, he definitely didn't deserve it. And thank God he's alive. So uh, I just wanted to give you a couple of examples there because, you know, one example of bad police work is not indicative or representative. Uh, yeah. Nice grouping. That's yeah. <laughs> true. I mean, he didn't. He didn't have to. <laughs> it was right in front of him. So I would, I would have been shocked if it wasn't good grouping. All right. Uh, so now we got to talk about Russia just a little bit. Um, <laughs> this is hilarious because uh, first of all, the interview with Vladimir Putin on uh, Tucker Carlson's website was brilliant. Faith base says, "Love you, Zach. I love you too. Thank you very much. Appreciate you." Um, w- w- what's interesting is that he was being interviewed. Uh, In another setting. And he just blew the lid off of this narrative by the mainstream media that Trump is a puppet of Putin. Uh, He was asked whether or not he wanted Donald Trump or Joe Biden to win the election in twenty twenty four. And he said that he wants Joe Biden to win because he's more predictable, which I just thought was hilarious. This was during a state television interview, and it was reported by the Financial Times. Uh, He was uh, speaking specifically about the U.S. political landscape, and he said that Biden is more experienced, predictable, and old school politician, which means he's corrupt as all get out. And he said, we will work with any U.S. leader whom the American people trust isn 't it funny that he doesn 't seem to be working with Joe Biden very well? I mean, as I reported yesterday, Joe Biden killed the peace deal that Vladimir Putin had brought to the table so these come These comments come uh, a day after Biden criticized Trump to yielding to Russia uh, because Trump had asked for a bipartisan solution uh, to end the war in Ukraine, and Biden is uh, looking for a bipartisan financial aid bill. To hand over to Ukraine, so that they can attempt to kill more Russians, uh, and of course, there was also the reporting that came out yesterday from Michael Schellenberger and Matt Taibbi, which revealed what we 've known for several years now that biden's excuse me obama Biden regime before President Trump uh, used foreign intelligence O'Connor's lures to deliberately set up Donald Trump and his team in uh, a foreign intelligence snare. Uh, So you have to love the irony of what we're seeing play out right now. And it just goes to show you once more that Russia is not the bad guy. Vladimir Putin is not the bad guy. Clearly the deep state swamp rats, the new world order bureaucrats that are currently running the United States of America, they're the bad guys. Now, Further underscoring the, uh, uh, the the fact that Russia does not live in some despotic fascist regime, Tucker Carlson has been visiting Russia this entire time. And he was shocked to see just how much better the daily lives of Russians are when compared to Americans. So. He released this new video on his website, which shows him and his team going to grocery shop. Now, you have to be a subscriber to be able to see the video. Uh, but in the video, uh, he says, we've been told sanctions on Russia have had a devastating effect on its economy. We visited a grocery store in Moscow and found a very different situation. So in the video, obviously, the, the point of the sanctions, as he points out, uh, is to make more life more difficult for the Russian people but as we've seen all it's really done is increase inflation and make life more difficult for the American people. So here let's take a look at uh, Tucker Carlson's video inside. So a long-standing feature, maybe the longest standing feature of Cold
3: War propaganda in the West was the Soviet grocery store. No products no choices, shoddily made things, and it wasn't actually propaganda, it was real. And you can look up the pictures on the internet if you want. So we thought it would be interesting to take a look at a contemporary modern day 2024 Russian grocery store, two years into sanctions. Here we go. All right, here we go. So I guess you put in 10 rubles here and you get it back
0: when you put the cart back wow it's just like aldi they have an incentive to make sure that people don't steal the carts what a concept so it's free but there's an incentive to return it and not just bring it to your homeless
3: encampment okay this is the uh grocery cart escalator this is designed i'm figuring this out now where the wheels don't move they lock on the grocery cart escalator look ma no hands
0: Wow, that's revolutionary. That's freaking revolutionary. Look at that. See,
3: retail placement here is a little bit different. So you're It's like walking through Macy's to get to Whole Foods. Okay, we've gotten through the perfume section to get to the grocery store. So we're going to try and
0: buy what a family of four would buy every week. And we're going to see what the selection is and we're going to see what it costs. I also want to go on record and say that Lisa and I used to be able to eat for a week on $100. Uh, Every single time we go to the grocery store now, without fail, it's over $200. Like, there's no way around it. And we have to go shopping four times a month, all right? So we are spending a significantly larger amount of money, and I am very thrifty. Lisa will tell you, I try to buy the cheapest, best quality foods that we possibly can, and it's simply just not sustainable at this point. Now, Russia is famous for its bread— which is one thing I can assess pretty well.
3: The low carb lifestyle has not swept Russia. Uh, thank heaven, because they, I mean, look at that. It's fresh too. Look at that. Oh, <laughs> come on. Mm. Unicorn and mini mills. All right.
0: Some kind of Russian wheat cookies what do you want to bet none of that food is genetically modified and what do you want to bet it's more natural and all fresher fewer preservatives than what we have in virtually everything here in america we need coffee don't we yes you do tucker
3: i don't know if this is sugar or flour to be honest with you but uh it looks like a staple so we should get it it's a very good looking package it's got to be flour right and this is Russian wine. It's from Crimea, which not only has the warm water naval base, but also is the source of most of the grapes uh, in this part of Russia for wine. So it's apparently pretty good. I wouldn't know about that. Cheese puffs. You check out of a grocery store and you've got gum, razor blades, and candy. Actually, they hide the razor blades because we steal them. <laughs> But these are all, seem to be Western products. Mars, Twix, Snickers, Milky Way, Bounty, Gillette, Paul's Cough Drops, Mentos. It's pretty non-sanctioned to me, but what do I know? (laughs) I went from amused to legitimately angry. that's a lot of food. So we were guessing what this would cost. Everybody here's from the United States, buys groceries, and we didn't pay any attention to costs. As we were just putting in the cart what we would actually eat over a week, and we all came in around four hundred bucks. About four hundred bucks. Um, it was a hundred and four dollars U.S. here. Wow. And that's when you start to realize that ideology maybe doesn't matter as much as you thought. Corruption. If you take people's standard of living and you tank it through filth and crime and inflation and they literally can't buy the groceries they want at that point maybe it matters less what you say or whether you're a good person or a bad person you're wrecking people's lives in their country and that's what our leaders have done to us and coming to a Russian grocery store the heart of evil and seeing what things cost and how people live it will radicalize you against our leaders that's how I feel anyway radicalized We're not making any of this up, by the way,
0: at all. So the reason I show this to you is to illustrate why things will be changing. I know that it's difficult for people. I mean, you know, we talk about it all the time. We all have virtually no uh, disposable funds. All right. All of us are having difficulty making ends meet. And frankly, it's gotten worse. It just keeps getting worse every single day. But that's why America will return to Donald Trump and making itself great again, because so many people all across this country are in the exact same boat. And we can all look back objectively at what happened during Trump's time in office. We can now learn the truth about the various schemes that were in play to take him out, to impugn his character, uh, to create a series of criminal actions that were projected upon him. And the people of this country understand now, and I'm sorry that it sucks, but unfortunately, this was what was required to make people yearn for something else. Life was shit before, but it was just good enough that people were willing to endure it. Now it's gotten to the point where we will no longer accept the corruption, the thieving, the blatant criminality by our politicians and leaders. My friends, things are changing. But I want to remind you that even once we take back the White House and America in November, we are going to have an uphill battle ahead of us still because Now we're going to have to go through the process of making all of those people be held accountable. And then the ones who are not directly held accountable are going to be waiting in the wings for their opportunity to seize power yet again. This is why it's so vitally important for every single one of us to take an active role in helping to make your community a better place to live through leadership, through outreach through as many different possible ways as you can come across and you can do in your own life, even if it's something small, to be an active participant in our system of government and in your community. That's how we win. That's how we ensure the survival of America going forward. And that includes beating the DEI lie. That includes destroying what's left of the Democrat Party very soon, They will be completely bankrupt, and that also includes bringing back the true nature of this country, which is that commitment to patriotism, that commitment to unity to move away from the artificial divisions that they have placed upon us. I know that it's second nature now. People get upset when they hear or they see things, but – We have to be willing to come to the table and to speak to each other, and that is happening largely now because people have moved away from that ultra-radical way of thinking. So things will change, my friends. I guarantee it. Things will change. All right. We're going to skip this story about Russia as well, and we're going to skip this story about Russia as well. Uh, So... Marjorie Taylor Greene. uh, There was a a hearing today on COVID vaccines where she actually spoke. I've got a bit of information on that as well. Um, But uh, there was apparently a plea made by uh, the UK foreign minister, former prime minister, David Cameron. Um, David Cameron wants the United States to spend more money on Ukraine. You know, kiss my ass, David Cameron. Uh, And apparently that's what Marjorie Taylor Greene had to say as well. She was questioned by Sky News' U.S. correspondent James Matthews as she was walking through the halls of Congress yesterday, and he said, David Cameron says that you should vote through funding for Ukraine. What do you say to that? She said, I think he tried to compare us to Hitler also, and if that's the kind of language he wants to use, I really want nothing to do to him or nothing to say to him. And then Matthews continued to speak, defending David Cameron. Well, he likened you to an appeaser to Hitler in not voting through funding for Ukraine. Are you an appeaser to Putin? She said, I really don't care what David Cameron has to say. I think that's rude name calling and I don't appreciate that type of language. And David Cameron needs to worry about his own country. And frankly, he can kiss my ass. But you think Putin's the good guy in all this? And of course, Marjorie Taylor Greene didn't have anything to say. David Cameron is part of that same new world order, global elite class, the ones who tell us that we are the problems, the ones who tell us that we just have to spend more money. We just have to give more money to Ukraine so we can create more potholes, so that we can create more missiles, so that we can continue to pump lead into the countrysides of Ukraine, destroying their farmland, destroying their agricultural capability, destroying their manufacturing capability, because soon enough, They think that Vladimir Putin is going to be brought to his knees and the true nature of this problem is going to be the exact opposite. They're bringing themselves to their knees because Russia and Putin, they aren't the bad guys in all this. Nobody is really a good guy when it comes to war, but it's the West. It's the NATO aligned Western nations who are driving this conflict and they are the true enemies of the people in that respect. Um, now, yesterday I told you a little bit about a vague national security threat that Mike Turner on the U.S. Intel Committee uh, had brought to the table immediately after Mike Johnson said that we were not going to bring that foreign aid package bill to the floor in the House. Now, apparently Matt Gates and Marjorie Taylor Greene have been talked to by the U.S. security state apparatus. And apparently they are warning the American people I don't believe that it's as dire as maybe they would have us believe. But uh, Mike Turner said uh, today, the House Permanent Select Committee on Intelligence has made available to all members of Congress information concerning a serious national security threat. I am requesting that President Biden declassify all information related to this threat so that Congress, the administration and our allies can openly discuss the actions necessary to respond to that threat. I think this is an effort to bring us that much closer to the brink of World War III. So Mike Johnson had halted that Senate, uh, the Senate bill from coming to the floor, and the security threat itself is still not been illuminated. We do not know what this alleged security threat is. But Matt Gates has said this. It was incredibly irresponsible of House Intelligence Committee Chairman Representative Mike Turner to gaslight the country by alleging this national security threat. The reality we're being shown is just a facade. Behind it lies a strategy to justify spying on American citizens and frivolously spending their hard-earned money. It is a classic bait and switch. So happy to see that Matt Gates is out there speaking the truth on this matter. Now, Marjorie Taylor Greene said this on X. Are we facing a national security threat? It's my duty to be honest with you. Yes, it's real. I went into the briefing today in the SCIF, and our president is a dementia patient (laughs) in charge of our country and the nuclear football. He opened our border wide to over 10 million people and counting from over 160 countries around the world and 2 million of them we never caught. However, an unknown number of those, in fact, are terrorists and they want to kill you. Not only that, the administration has empowered the criminal cartels and not only mo- are and that not only control our most of our southern border, but are also making tens of billions from human and drug trafficking and have expanded their international operations to have a strong foothold in the United States. Now, along with that, the government you trusted with your hard-earned tax dollars has enslaved us in over 34 trillion dollars in debt. Communist China owns most of our debt. And China makes most of our critical chain supplies, you know, like medications that keep many of you alive. Now the interest rate on that debt is climbing so fast that the annual interest alone is soon to be bigger than our entire defense budget. Turns out the smart people running the federal government have made so many bad decisions with foreign policy, sanctions, and trade that our dollar is under dire threat and soon could no longer be the world's reserve currency. This means that your 401ks, your retirement accounts, stock portfolios, and savings could soon be worthless, and your government-mandated Social Security account that most of you depend on in retirement could soon be wiped out. These are just a few of the terrifying top national security threats we face. However, perhaps the greatest threat is the federal government, and it has become so powerful over the people that it leaks intelligence— to the press in order to pressure Congress to make certain votes, protect its own power to spy on citizens, maintain power, and protect its own job security, and most terrifying of all, has become weaponized to crush its political enemies. All of this, I'm telling you, didn't come to me in a skiff. You already know that, and I'm depending on you to help me stop our greatest national security threat, the one from within. Kitsko says if satellites with lasers are the issue, we need more Space Force dollars, not Ukraine. Here's the thing. I don't believe that there is a legitimate pressing national security threat coming from Russia or anywhere else that we don't already know about. This was timed so perfectly to coincide with that foreign aid package coming out of the Senate before it went to the House. So that Marjorie Taylor Greene and all the other congressmen could be dragged into a skiff, just as I said yesterday, and the intelligence community would then state, look, there's this nebulous national security threat. People are going to die. The only way to stop people from dying is to give ninety five more billion dollars to Ukraine. You love America, right? You don't want us to tell the American people that it's your fault. They're dead. No, the true national security threat has already been ultimately exposed That is the porous southern border. That is the dementia patient sitting at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue. That is the radical left Democrats who have infiltrated every federal agency that waste our tax dollars and have pushed us into a never ending cycle of debt interest repayment. No, my friends, the greatest threat to you and my security has already been exposed. So don't you worry about anything related to Russia. Mike Turner is a shill for the new world order. Joe Biden is a dementia patient. And we will solve all of this come November when we remove all of them from power. So have no fear. Same old day, same old tricks or brand new day. Same old tricks. All right. So let us get into the situation taking place currently down in Georgia. The dogs are running scared. The Georgia Bar Association, I guess, was present at the questioning of these witnesses. They were trying to stifle one such witness who was giving testimony, refuting the prior testimony under oath That was presented in those briefings given by Fannie Willis and Nathan Wade. Now, why would the Georgia Bar Association be involved? Well, obviously, they want to protect their interests. They want to protect their darling Fannie Willis, who is using her power and the resources of the Fulton County taxpayer to destroy Donald Trump. The one man in politics who truly, from my perspective, wants to save America and wants to solve all of those national security threats that I just laid out for you. So this comes at a time when a witness was on the stand. And of course, they don't want this scandal to get any worse than it already is. Uh, Fulton County Judge Scott McAfee, I thought, did a great job throughout the day, uh, reigning in witnesses, reigning in both sides of the equation in terms of counsel, I thought that Ashley Merchant, uh, the lawyer on one of the lawyers on the team for Michael Roman, she did a great job. Okay, she was awesome. She was so on top of her game. And the lawyers from the Fulton County District Attorney's office, they were frightened. And it got even worse by the time Fannie Willis got onto the stage. So uh, let me see. All right. So during today's hearings, uh, we had uh, testimony from a number of different people. But Robin Yurty, hers was probably the most damaging. Uh, Robin Yurty is the woman who's on screen right now. Uh, her testimony essentially impeached both Nathan Wade and Fannie Willis. Uh, and she did not seem to be a fan of Fannie or Nathan. Now, it appears that she is a former friend a former roommate, she actually went to college with Fanny Willis. So the evidence that was being presented, of course, has to do with the nature of their relationship, whether or not Fanny Willis financially benefited from the money that she was paying to Nathan Wade. And whether or not she lied to the court. Now, we already know that they willfully chose not to disclose their personal relationship uh, at the time that they were involved in it. Now, they have a, a fiduciary duty to reveal any potential conflict of interests to the court and to the Fulton County District Attorney's office. So they've already done something that warrants their removal from this case. Fannie Willis intentionally withheld that information. uh, And Ashley Merchant, representing Michael Roman, I think did a great job of getting that out from the various witnesses. So Nathan Wade and Fannie Willis both were forced to testify. I was able to watch virtually all of Nathan Wade's testimony and uh, 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 the vast majority of Fannie Willis's. But I had to go on the air and she was still on the stand. So Robin Yurdy worked in Fannie Willis's office. Again, she went to college with Fannie Willis. She ended up working at the uh, the office of the district attorney, and she testified that the relationship between Fannie Willis and Nathan Wade actually began back in 2019. Now, remember, Fannie Willis and Nathan Wade both say that it didn't start until after he had been hired and after the indictments had actually come out. But Robin Yurdy testified under penalty of perjury that Nathan Wade and Fannie Willis Got into this relationship beginning back in 2019. Again, this is before Nathan Wade was hired as lead prosecutor in a RICO lawfare case that he has no experience in. Uh, he had previously been a judge, uh, some sort of judge that basically oversaw traffic tickets, that sort of thing. Uh, ultimately, the testimony of Robin Yerdy is devastating. It impeached both Nathan Wade and Fannie Willis. So that was a good one to watch. They really didn't have anything other to say other than the fact that Fannie Willis essentially had lied. Now, they tried to impeach her character by claiming that she had been fired from the district attorney's office, and that was the only reason that she had uh, been there to testify. Now, apparently, uh, there was a series of incidents that took place, Robin Yurdy said. She had been spoken to about her performance on one occasion, and then the next time they spoke about her performance, Fannie Willis gave her the opportunity to either resign her position or to be fired. Robin Yurdy chose to resign her position. We never got the actual details surrounding whatever that was. Uh, Two Feathers says, good evening, RP78 and chat. Wanted to see if my rant started working, looking good so far. Good stuff. Glad to hear it. Oh, and Andre, civilian Andre said, Tucker looks like he's having fun. Isn't it sad how surprised we are to see groceries be economical? Biden sucks ass. I can say that now. <laughs> oh, that's so funny. Uh, All right, so. Uh, Fannie Willis and Nathan Wade testifying today had to speak directly about the various trips they took and the way that money was spent. Nathan Wade and Fannie Willis both did a fair bit of lawyering, uh, obfuscating the situation. Uh, Nathan Wade claimed that he had no receipts. Of course, he had credit card statements. And now those may not be receipts in the normal sense, but they are receipts, especially when you give them to your, your tax accountant. Uh, they're going to use them as if they were receipts. So Uh, According to this article that was brought to our attention initially by the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, Fannie Willis financially benefited. And that was the thrust of the questioning from Nathan Wade and Fannie Willis. Did she financially benefit from that relationship? Uh, Glenn says Fannie said her and Yurdy went to different schools but partied together in college. Okay, they knew each other in college. So. Let us get to the meat here. Uh, Judge Scott McAfee, of course, is potentially going to disqualify Fannie Willis. If Fannie Willis is disqualified, the entire district attorney's office is then also disqualified. And then the case is not going to be able to go forward. So the case will be thrown out against President Trump. Uh, Let us jump to the testimony here. Uh, Here, let's go ahead. We've got uh, uh, a bit of uh, of 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 clips here. So. Let's take a look at these expenses. Last month, Nathan Wade's estranged wife, Jocelyn Wade, filed a response to Fannie Willis's request for a protective order, and she provided receipts. The truth is, Nathan Wade spent money on Fanny by buying her flowers, paying for hotels, air travel, cruises, Ubers, et cetera. Here's-
1: Gotta get past these commercials. Let me say this. Let's
2: take the Belize trip, for example, since okay. you started there. That was a birthday gift to me, so I paid nothing for that trip. Zero. Okay.
4: So the, the charges that are on your card, she gave you cash for? She did. Okay. So all of the charges... Excuse me, I don't The witness has finished answering
2: the question. Oh, did you have more? I did. Okay. Um, I, I wanted to get into the, the charges on the, the card because so traveling with her um, is is a, is a task. You can probably imagine the uh, attention that, that happens. So for safety reasons, um, she would limit her transactions. Um, I mean, imagine trying to walk through... An airport, or sit at a restaurant, or do anything. Um, So there was no, there's no attempt to conceal. It's a credit card. Everything is here. So,
4: and and that's not what I asked. Okay. Um, What I asked was the charges for Belize in March 2023 on that credit card. Those are things you purchased to go with Miss with Miss Willis
0: to Belize.
2: Those are those are things that we booked with my card that yes. she paid. Yes.
0: Yes. So say- Nathan Wade, the whole time that he's being questioned, he's talking about Fannie Willis as if she is some freaking superstar, uh, like 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 she's being hounded by paparazzi when she goes out in public. People mob her. Her safety's in jeopardy. She's got protective custody around her at all times. Remember, there was that safe house that was rented. She claimed in her testimony that things are so bad that she can't even stay at her own home. She just allows it to be there. Now, Nathan Wade, of course, had previously stated that, you know, they were splitting things. Andre, yeah, today, Jr., Nathan Wade was spending money on Fannie Willis. He was buying her all sorts of things. We have the receipts in the form of these credit card bills. Anytime money is spent on a public servant like that, that's going to count as if it is a gift. So by the very nature of the way that it is cataloged, it's going to be a financial benefit. Fanny Willis never claimed any of these things. And most importantly... She never kept receipts on reimbursement to Nathan Wade. And although it got it took a long time to get to that point because they were lawyering the entire time, um, it did come out. It definitely came out. There was no receipts. All we have is Nathan Wade making expenditures and Fannie Willis supposedly reimbursing him 100 percent in cash. This, my friends, does not pass the smell test. We've got thousands of dollars in expenses that Nathan Wade used from his credit card, from the money he was making from the county, and he spent it on Fannie Willis. So they were both very uncomfortable throughout the entire time. And Fannie Willis herself was... uh, uh, I would say hostile. Uh, she did not want to be there and she kept trying to go outside of the boundaries of the questions. Um, but this was an uncomfortable line of questioning here because the whole aspect of when the relationship began, I mean, you know, how do you define a relationship? Uh, you have a personal relationship. You can be friends with someone, you can be coworkers, or you can be in a romantic relationship and that denotes sexual activity. So, Uh, They wanted to find out when this sort of change to their relationship came. Uh, And so Wade made the admission uh, during cross-examination that Fannie Willis paid him cash, not because uh, he asked for it, but because she's a strong black woman. And she did not want to feel like any man was going to be taking care of her. So. As he is being questioned about his sexual relationship with Fannie Willis, this is how it went.
3: Under your testimony, uh, you would have said that she had also entertained you. Isn't that correct? Yes. And so your answer to this interrogatory is false. Is it not, sir?
0: No, it's not false.
3: OK, uh, it, well, here,
0: here's another thing. hate to dance around. the. Fannie Willis supposedly paid for Nathan Wade to do things. There is no record of that anywhere. Not a single receipt could be produced to show that Fannie Wade either paid Nathan Wade back, Fanny Willis paid Nathan Wade back, or that she paid for anything at all. The only receipts that are to be had are Nathan Wade's receipts. Now, he also was uh, remarkably, uh, I guess, <laughs> opaque about the nature and timing of their relationship. Uh, according to Nathan Wade... He and his wife, Jocelyn, agreed to a divorce back in 2015. So in his mind, he said the relationship was dead. I was free to do whatever I wanted because I guess his wife cheated on him back in 2015. So he says Fannie Willis and I never had a relationship while I was married, even though they were legally married in a certain manner of definition Fanny Willis and him did not have a relationship while he was, quote, with his wife, but he was still legally bound to his wife. Uh, and of course, uh, the judge was also getting a little bit frustrated with Nathan Wade. Uh, he wanted him to get to the point on so many different occasions. And uh, it seemed to me that Nathan Wade's answers were less than honest. Uh, so right here. Uh, Judge McAfee said, I think it's clear that disqualification can occur if evidence is produced demonstrating an actual conflict or the appearance of one. And that is so vitally important because the appearance of conflict is written all over the faces of both Fanny and Nathan. I was also actually um, <laughs> surprised to learn that her name is pronounced Fanny, but I'm always going to call her Fanny. So let, let me actually play you uh, a clip. Of Fannie Willis. Oh shoot, where'd it go? I had. Oh, okay. Here we go. Here we go. All right. So I this is kept- this is important right here, because if we're talking about financial benefit uh, of any kind, Fannie Willis admits on the stand that she took money from her her uh, campaign to run for district attorney. Remember, people donate money to political candidates, and that money is supposed to be used for campaigns. She kept it. She took it and she just kept it. Jim says he's scared shitless of her. She's probably got a penis. (laughs) All right, so Fannie Willis admits to criminal actions on the stand. The house,
4: that has been, I don't know, all my life. If you're a woman and you go on a date with a man, you better have $200 in your pocket. So if that man acts up, you can go where you want to go. So I keep cash in my house. And I don't keep cash as good in my purse like I used to. Um, I don't go on many dates. But when you go on a date, you should have cash in your pocket. So my question was, where did that cash originally come from? If it had didn't cash come out of the bank? Cash is uh, fungible. I had cash for years in my house. So for me to tell you the source of when it comes from, when you go to Publix and you buy.
0: Where did the money come from, Fanny? It's a simple question. How many ways did you make money? Okay. You get paid by the county, you get money from Nathan Wade, or you're doing a side hustle and you're getting paid that way. Everyone knows exactly where their money comes from. We're not talking about change at Publix. We're not talking about uh, the 10 cents that you got back at the post office. We're talking about the main source of your income. And she just did not want to go there. How did you have large amounts of cash in your home, Fanny? Tell us, please you
4: get $50, you throw it in there. When It's been my whole life. When I took out a large amount of money on my first campaign, I kept some of the cash of that. Like To tell you, I just have...
0: I think she realized that she just done effed up. I took a large amount of money out of my campaign and I kept it. That's not the way it's supposed to go. That, I believe, is a campaign finance violation. She just opened herself up to a- additional charges if... The, uh, if the Georgia, state of Georgia, wants to go after her.
4: In my house, I don't have as much today as I would normally have, but I'm building back up now. So You just put money in. It's a very good practice. I would advise it to all women. So you can't identify when you came into this cash or where the cash came from? I didn't say I couldn't identify it. No, nobody gives me anything. God. I am sure that the source of the money is always the work, sweat, and tears of me. What you asked me for is... When did the money go in there? What I am trying to tell you is, so I got divorced in 2005.
0: This is another thing. Fannie Willis and Nathan Wade consistently trying to answer questions that merchant never asked them. Every single time she would ask a very simple question and they would launch into these like hyperbolic screeds. Constantly giving more information that were necessary, so annoying and so obviously trying to obscure the truth of whatever they were trying to get to my
4: husband. And, and no, I, no 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 it 's important. you said where did the money come from, from and I need to tell you where the money came from, from. and so for questions. many, many years, I have kept money in my house. that money, in my worst days has probably only been five hundred or a thousand dollars at my best days i've probably had fifteen thousand dollars over cash at all times there's going to be cash in my house or wherever i'm laying my head the money that you paid mr wade the cash in october of 2022 you do not know where that money came from i do know where it came from so came where from is it to tears you know which job it came from did it come from fulton county or did it come from a private job? it came from i don't i'm not a what are you talking about so oh. it could have come from a, a private job because before I was DA, I was in private practice. So I earned money during that time period that's probably in there. You don't it know could have.
0: No, no. I, I don't really think she's this dense, but I suppose there's always the possibility that she truly is. Uh, everyone knows where their money comes from. You might not know the source of an individual bill. But the chances are pretty good if you have one job, the money is coming from there. And if she is working as the district attorney for Fulton County, chances are pretty good the money at her home is going to be coming from her job at Fulton County. So uh, we've got uh, a number of different problems that uh, Fannie Willis and Nathan Wade were confronted with. Uh, We've got two declarations in two different courts. Both of them were sworn and filed with the court, and they both say something different. In a 2023 filing under oath by Nathan Wade, he stated he didn't have a relationship. Then we've got a filing from the divorce stating that he did have one starting in 2022. And then once that came out, he fixed the incorrect affidavit that was filed back in 2023. So We have a conflict. We definitely have a conflict. And then Terrence Bradley, he was the guy who was the former law partner of Nathan Wade. He's the one who claimed that the Georgia Bar Association had advised him not to answer questions due to the application of Rule 1.6 of confidentiality. What is that? That is attorney-client privilege. I want to remind you guys that Terrence Bradley and Nathan Wade, they worked together. They were both lawyers in a law firm where they maintained a partnership. To my knowledge, this is the first time anybody has suggested that Terrence Bradley was the lawyer for Nathan Wade. This is clearly an effort to further obscure the truth and make sure that the truth never comes out. So the confidentiality of information, attorney-client privilege, states that a lawyer shall not reveal <clears throat> information relating to the representation of a client unless the client gives informed consent. The disclosure is implied authorized in order to carry out the representation or the disclosure is permitted. So Bradley cited this rule as the reason he was not answering a number of specific questions. He believed that it applied to all communications. So the specifics of the advice given by the Georgia Bar Association was not disclosed. They're not going to tell us that. But it led Bradley to request an immediate review by the Supreme Court. Now, the defense for the DA's office argued that the bar's advice prevented them from questioning Bradley. I'm sorry, the defense, Michael Roman. Uh, said that it, it prevented the uh, lawyers from questioning Bradley effectively. Uh, and Ashley Merchant, again, she was the superstar attorney for Michael Roman. Uh, she expressed a certain amount of uncertainty. Uh, about the Georgia Bar Association's awareness of the affidavits that Wade had filed. So she uh, argued to change the privilege dynamics that governed the conversations that Wade and uh, Bradley had had. So it's her assertion that Wade had waived certain aspects of privilege by including information about that relationship in the affidavit. So if Nathan Wade is making public statements about that relationship – Then why is it that Terrence Bradley could not also make comments regarding the relationship that he and Nathan Wade had spoken about or that that Bradley had firsthand knowledge of? Uh, And she asked that uh, she be allowed to ask qualifying questions regarding that. So Wade should not be allowed, as argued by Merchant, to selectively disclose information and avoid asking questions about it. Uh, So that privilege, she argued, should either be fully upheld or or waived. And in terms of this current situation, if Wade is able to discuss the relationship on his own terms, obviously that's unacceptable because we need to know what the truth is. And the only reason that Nathan Wade would not want to be truthful about this is because it obviously looks bad for both Fannie Willis and for Nathan Wade. Now, I mentioned that Fannie Willis had appeared to be rather hostile. Uh, When she took the stand, she was immediately sniping and biting and coming after Ashley Merchant. She was arrogant. She was defiant. uh, And she the way that the merchant wanted to question her, uh, the judge essentially gave her the permission to treat her as a As a hostile witness. Now, Fannie Willis said, I'm not a hostile witness. I very much want to be here. Miss Merchant's interests are contrary to democracy, Your Honor, not mine. But the judge corrected her and basically ended up taking a recess to give her a stern talking to so that she would come back and answer the questions and stop giving so much lip. So when asked about when this relationship ended or if it had ended, Fannie Willis said that the relationship ended in August of 2023. So then she was asked if Wade had ever stayed with her where she laid her head. And Fannie Willis lost it because she said that in these affidavits that Ashley Merchant had filed that she had insinuated or suggested on multiple occasions that Wade and Willis actually lived together. And she was screaming, she lied, she lied. She was shouting and she was really upset upset about it, and that 's the point at which the judge asked uh, to take a break, so Scott McAfee came back, he admonished the court after everyone returned, and he said you 're either going to do this right or we 're going to hold people in contempt so let me see i'm going to see if this is a uh, this is the full four and a half hour uh, uh, hearing here, so obviously we 're not going to go ahead and watch that so fireworks today absolute fireworks today, I, considering the fact that all we need is the appearance of impropriety. I think it's quite clear that that's exactly what we had. Uh, I'm waiting now to see what Judge Scott McAfee has to say about this whole thing. And I am no doubt going to have more information to bring you guys tomorrow. Uh, Let me say thank you to Dot Kenny. Dot Kenny says a little something toward you and your wife's next steak night. Steak night. We love your authenticity. Happy Valentine's week. Thank you so much, Fredo. Good to see you. All they did was filibuster the entire time. It was so annoying. I tell you what, though, I wouldn't kick that lawyer, Ashley Merchant, out of bed for eating crackers. And then Trisha says, I'll add uh, to that. I'll add $20 for that belated birthday dinner for Lisa. Thank you so much, you guys. I really appreciate it. All right. So in... News related to Donald Trump's other cases. We now have a uh, a scheduled for the Alan Alvin Bragg trial in New York. What's interesting is that this trial has also been scheduled at the same time as yet another trial. Uh, so it's maybe going to present a bit of a conflict in each of these courts. How is Donald Trump supposed to be in two places at once? I also think that this is the weakest of all of these cases against Donald Trump. It's blatantly political. Uh, and this uh, this ruling places the trial to begin on March 25th. Um, the trial that it's in conflict with is uh, also is that January 6th trial uh, that's been postponed. And then now it's going to be postponed indefinitely, probably until the Supreme Court comes back. Uh, if. It is completely election interference if you say you're going to sit in the courtroom in Manhattan, said Trump's defense lawyer. Uh, Alvin Bragg, of course, charging President Trump with uh, 34 felony counts related to hush money payments he apparently made to Stephanie Clifford. Just want to remind everybody, people pay hush money all the time. There's nothing illegal about it. Uh, And these payments were allegedly made through internal business records, but there was no tax deduction taken, so there was no obligation to file it with the FEC. If you own a corporation, you have the right to pay anyone that you want. Stephanie Clifford, obviously, would have had to have... Chosen or to have claimed them on her own taxes. No word on whether or not that's the case. But every single payment was made to Michael Cohen. It was made in 2017 while President Trump was president. And Alvin Bragg has still not explained exactly uh, how he wants to convict President Trump in the charging documents. If you guys will remember, we went over the documents here on the show. Uh, It doesn't really it doesn't really read like an indictment. It kind of just reads like uh, a laundry list of things that they don't like and they think that President Trump did wrong. Uh, So we don't know how this trial is going to stack up. We don't know how the arguments are even going to play out. What is it that Alvin Bragg is asking? You know, what is the actual crime here? He still hasn't um, actually you know, spelled all of that out. So I expect Alvin Bragg's case to go absolutely nowhere. We're going to have to see where that goes. Uh, let me see. Uh, Addicted to drums says, Godspeed, Zach. Thank you, sir. Backdoor Biden says, happy birthday, Lisa. Thank you, my friend. Glenn MS says, I could be wrong, but Fannie said she put in $50,000 to the campaign. And I think there are finance rules that allow repayment of loans to the campaign. There are. If she said that, uh, then yes, that would be the case. Um, But uh, I don't know. I haven't seen anything on that. So we'll have to see. Like I said, I had to walk away uh, before Fannie Willis had finished her testimony. Uh, So. There was also that COVID 19 vaccine hearing held today in the House. And uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene, uh, again, in typical fashion, I feel like she's had a return to form. Um, this was the Select Subcommittee on the Coronavirus Pandemic. And the first part of the hearing was entitled Assessing America's Vaccine Safety Systems Part One. Uh, and this aimed to dissect the effectiveness of vaccine safety reporting. Obviously, it sucks. Injury response, practically non-existent, and compensation mechanisms, also practically non-existent. So the federal government's surveillance system, uh, which has been designed to monitor injuries from vaccines, it's come under a lot of criticism because they don't truly adequately track these sorts of things. Uh, the process to enter information into the VAERS system is hopelessly uh, misaligned. Doctors do not have an incentive. They have an incentive to not enter that information. Uh, and it's ended up uh, with the public no longer trusting the government or the public health system, certainly not trusting their doctors either, and definitely not trusting vaccines. So chairman for this committee, uh, Brad Renstrup, uh criticized the Biden regime for the way they coerced the American people into compliance with these completely unproven genetic modification treatments. There was no system in place to deal with the likely effects that were uh, that we've seen kind of play out over the last couple of years. A lot of people died. A lot of people have become damaged and uh, permanently disabled as a result. So they were attempting to uh, uh, essentially bring together the experts here, figure out a way how they can increase vaccine transparency, and then also make sure that people who have been victimized are going to be properly compensated. Uh, don't know if they actually uh, got anywhere with this, but Marjorie Taylor Greene uh, presented this information. Uh, Let's see. She said, I'm not a doctor, but I have a Ph.D. in recognizing bullshit when I hear it. (laughs) She was questioning uh, a number of individuals uh, regarding the reporting of information to the vares systems. So she cited uh, a substantial number of reports of vaccine injuries and deaths, uh, emphasizing the disparity between the numbers and the limited compensation that was provided through the vaccine injury program. Uh, in December, in the middle of December, I think it was the 10th or the 11th, the first vaccine was approved. It was authorized under emergency use, and that should have never happened because there were other uh prophylactic uh, agents and uh, treatments that were available but they covered those up. Uh boom, you have 10,596 reports in less than a month. That ought to tell you all you need to know. In 2021, there were 706,767 reports on VAERS for vaccine injuries and deaths. And we also know that those numbers are very very low in comparison to how many people were actually injured or died. In 2022, 206,676 injuries and deaths. And in 2023, the numbers went down because the mandates stopped. So let's talk a little bit about vaccines here. We have reports of deaths, 18,372. Permanent disabilities, 17,842. Hospitalizations, 86,452. Emergency room or office visits, 315,048, and serious adverse events, 113,449. This is coming from the Congressional Research Service about VARES. They track all kinds of injuries, miscarriages, heart attacks, myocarditis, permanent disability, neurological problems. It goes on and on. There are reports from people being forced to take vaccines. It never should have happened. So, you know, this is a step forward in the right direction. I can only say that I hope the people who were injured by these vaccines forced upon them uh, finally get the compensation that they are due. All right, you guys, we're going to go through these final thank yous over here with our friends at Pilled.net, people in the foxhole. And before we do that, I've got to show you something really cool. Take a look at this. This was sent to me by a viewer of the program. He had a custom vinyl lettering kit for my website redpill78news.com and he put it on the back of his Dodge Neon and uh I think it looks pretty cool, pretty cool. He said it didn't cost him very much. It was like 5 bucks or something like that. Uh so I thought that this was really really awesome and I just wanted to say thank you to him. Uh I, I you know, there was somebody else who uh, had created uh, a Red Pill 78 license plate. And the only reason I didn't show that is because it tells what state it's in and then people would be able to figure out their, that person's name and stuff. So if you're the person out there with the Red Pill 78 license plate, thank you very much. I hope you're still out there in the audience. Uh, thank you very much to the Patriot in, uh, Texas who put this on the back of their car. And, uh, if you guys do something like this on your car, uh, then by all means, send it to me and I'll, I'll share it out. I'll, I'll, I'll show it to people. All right. So let me make sure I've got everything. Over here at Rumble, I'm pretty sure that I'm making his transition to civilian life. Um, Also, uh, I think it was um, I I met someone at GART and uh, we said we were going to get together for lunch and I can't find the email that they sent me. And his name started with a K. And I know that it was like initials and I can't find the email And I'm making a plea to see if you're out there. If you would please send me an email and say, hey, it's me. I live locally. We're going to lunch and we can set this up because um, when I got back from GART, I had a lot to do and uh, it just was not possible. So I want to make good on that promise and I want to go out to lunch with you. So hit me up. Um, Let me see. Uh, Let's go over here to the foxhole and I'm going to pull this up on screen so that uh, everybody can see these. There we go. Okay, why
1: can't I see it? Ah, there we go. Okay,
0: so... Need to make it a little bit smaller, but that should be good. Okay, thank you to Boise Blanc. Thank you to Thick Ray. Says, yes, I can't wait to get home. Thanks, Zach. Uh, Lieutenant Cooker uh, just gifted a uh, bronze tier subscription. Debbie Roush claimed it. Awesome. Net folks won. Thank you. Thick Ray says five o'clock drive home is the best. Hashtag Truth Is Loose. Thank you to Sean Joe. Polly says I appreciate you. I appreciate you too. Good Dog Forty Five says keep on trucking, Zach. Thank you very much. Moss Dog Seven says you demand. I appreciate it. Sean Joe, thank you for the cookie. Just Duckies, much love and good to see you. Uh, C.L. Goober, thank you for the hugs. Liberty Bells says, much love, Zach. Blessings to you and TPHF. I don't know what TP is. And TP, TPHF. I, you're going to have to decode that one for me. And then Flor says, when is this movie over? I can't sit back and enjoy the popcorn any longer. Dems are destroying America. Okay, and I think I, uh, I, I feel like I answered that earlier. Um, and, uh, yes, I know things are difficult. Uh, And I just want to remind everybody that, again, this is going to be an ongoing battle. Um, But when Donald Trump comes back into office, uh, they're either going to we're either going to bring him back to Washington or they're going to steal the election again. And the American people are going to rise up and they're not going to take it. Uh, So we have battles ahead of us either way. So uh, I think that we are in a, a position, though, where this is truly going to be made right because the Dems have destroyed their own base. Uh, They have completely abdicated their responsibility. They have let the they've they've given up the ghost that they don't care about America. They don't care about the American people. Well, guess what? Even the people who voted Democrat were still Americans. The only ones who are left supporting the Democrats are the elite white liberals on Park Avenue who are pumping all of the money into the system. And then floor also. And these are two fleets. Thank you so much, Floor. She says, President Putin will jail or fine any farmer caught not growing organic. Nothing is modified. I have Russian friends. That's amazing. Uh, I think that that's the way to do it. You know, uh, we need uh, to get back to that whole peace through strength scenario that Donald Trump had uh, had given us. And uh, we need to we need to lead by example. So all right, you guys, uh, we're going to go ahead and pass out these gold pills. Thank you very, very much to everyone. I think that is it. And uh, I'm going to go ahead and hang out with Lisa now. We're going to probably watch the rest of that testimony from Fanny and uh, and, and the rest of the gang. And uh, I'll be back tomorrow at 9 p.m. right here for another episode of uh, Friday Night Livestream. So until that time, good luck and God bless. We'll see you then.